You are listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host and teacher, Darius Good. He is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and founder of Good Treasure Ministries. He is the author of the books, Unlocking Godly Wisdom and The Divorced Christian. For more information, visit the website at thedivorcedchristian.com. And now here's your host, Darius Good. Welcome to another episode of The Divorced Christian Podcast Show. My name is Darius Good. This show has been created to deal with the sensitive and difficult topic of divorce especially in regards to Christianity and divorce. I believe it's one of the most overlooked topic within the Christian community in, in regards to the, the vast number of Christians that are divorced. I believe there's also so much misinformation in regards to this topic that in my own research and findings, studies, uh, even in my prayer time, revelation that God revealed to me, I was able to uh, uh, come to a conclusion that does not violate, number one, God's scripture, God's character, God's nature, and also the law of Moses. And so I have dug a lot into Jewish uh, culture um, Jewish law, the, law, the Levitical law, there's a lot of laws pertaining to divorce that are really overlooked. Um, and as I've talked to several ministers, as I'm finding different things and I'm sharing what I have, uh, they, they were unaware of a lot of the information that I've uncovered. What I have discovered does not violate the scriptures. I can also find scriptures that cooperates the information that's been discovered. And so it's been an interesting journey for me. Um, I think it's been important that I get this information out. I'm still in the process of completing the book, so I hope to have it out soon. Um, but I want to deal today with the topic of uh, adulterous marriages. On last week, we covered a Christian adulterous marriage versus a Jewish adulterous marriage. And I want to uh, remain in that frame of mind on today, I want to talk about King David's marriage, um, which I realized um, we've taught it a certain way. Um, it's been believed a certain way. And I realized in my studies, I came to a vast different conclusion. Um, and so we'll get to that. But first, let's start with this concept. I've been blown away by the number of people that believe that Jesus came and he brought correction to the law of Moses. So I want to deal with that first. So when we have teachings from Jesus, like for instance, Matthew 19, um, which we have other versions throughout the scriptures that have the same conversation, or even Matthew five, um, the conclusion has been that Jesus made the statement that the only reason we could get divorced is for adultery. So Matthew five thirty one. Whosoever should put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And we've covered all this uh, previously in the previous episodes, so I won't take as much time today to go through this. But the conclusion that's been drawn is Jesus is now bringing correction to the law of Moses. Jesus is fixing. Um, I've heard some say 
say things that God was not pleased with in regards to putting divorce in place. I've heard others even say that Moses came up with this concept of divorce. But when you read through the law of Leviticus, it consistently and repeatedly says, and the Lord said to Moses. So this was not Moses' idea. Moses was not creating his own laws. The law of Moses was given to him by God. Paul said the law is holy, that the law is righteous. And we won't take the time today because we'll spend so much time trying to explain that the law, it, it didn't, it didn't, it fell short of God's standard because of faith, not because of the law. God gave the law, but the law revealed to man sin. And it also revealed to man that on his own, we cannot live a righteous life. If they broke one of the simple commandments, one of the least commandments, it was the same as breaking all the commandments. The standard that God put in place revealed to man that on our own, without his help, without being in a place of humility, without the spirit of the living God, we'll never live a standard that's approved by him. What was missing? The missing piece was faith. It was Jesus Christ. So Jesus didn't come to fix the law. It's faith in Jesus Christ that makes us righteous. So with that being said, we got we to gotta go back to what Jesus said first in Matthew 5, verse 17, where he made this statement that I did not come to destroy the law. He said, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I, I, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I did not come to change it. I did not come to abolish. It's important that we understand that. So there's an error in people's thinking if you believe that Jesus came to fix, fix what Moses had put in place. So as stated in previous lessons, and I encourage you, go back and listen to the previous uh, episodes. When Jesus made this statement that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery, the conclusion has been that if you marry someone that is divorced, then you are now in an adulterous marriage. The problem with this conclusion is, is really two things. The first is Jesus said, whosoever shall put away. And as I mentioned, some, some translations of the Bibles use the word divorce. But you got to go to the concordance. In the concordance, you'll find that the actual word was apolio, which means put away. Put away is a very different concept than divorced. To put away means to send away, to uh, put out of the house, is to release. So it's a concept that we would use today of being separated. So Jesus was not continuing in a thought discussing divorce. Um, what he went back to was a person that is separated from their wife. Whoever shall put away his wife, whoever is separated from his wife, except in the case of adultery, causes her to commit adultery if she enters into marriage 
with another person because she is now married to two people. The second marriage will be considered an adulterous marriage. She needs to either divorce the first husband or that first husband would need to die, which would make her a widow. Either one would dissolve the marriage. So it's important that we understand that. That word is a mistranslation of divorced used in verse 32, Matthew 5, 32. It doesn't say that whosoever shall divorce his wife. It says whosoever shall put away his wife. The second major problem with this conclusion is that adultery was not permitted in Israel. So there is no way Jesus stood there and told all those the, the multitude, all those people, that you can now get divorced for adultery. God established very early on the Ten Commandments. So for those of you with the mindset that Moses made up his own law, so the 613 laws of Moses, I guess he himself made that up, but they believe that the laws, uh, the Ten Commandments is the laws of God. I've heard it taught that way as well. So let's go with that. The law of God, the Ten Commandments stated, thou shalt not commit adultery. The follow-up question is what happened to those that committed adultery? And so the scripture reveals to us that they were killed. They had to have either been caught in the act or it required the mouth of two or three witnesses. So it couldn't be one witness. It required two or three witnesses in order for someone to be put to death. We see it from Moses, the establishing of the law. So from Moses' time, even up until Jesus' time, where they caught a woman in the act and they brought her to Jesus. So they had kept the laws of God. They kept the Ten Commandments. If you committed adultery, you were stoned to death. We've already covered the several scriptures. There's three scriptures that talk about the sin of adultery, but the requirement was that they be killed. The, the adulterer, the man, and the adulteress. Both of them were killed and it says that this evil had to be put out of the congregation. They couldn't have adultery to be among them. It was not a part of their culture. It was not something that Jesus was now stating it's okay to end up divorced because of adultery. So the definition of a Christian adulterous marriage has been if you marry someone that's divorced, they considered any additional marriage, the second marriage, to be an adulterous marriage. But that violates the law of Moses and it violates the, the, even the, the correct understanding of what Jesus said as he was talking about people that were separated. But as we begin to dig into the culture, we covered this on last week, so I'll go through this quickly because I want to get to the story of David. But as you dig into the culture, you realize they left often. The men would go out on journeys and travel and business and even wartime, they would go away and the women were left not knowing if the man was alive or not. They were not permitted by law to remarry. No matter how long he was gone, it could be 20, 30 years, it didn't matter. She could die a chained woman. Everyone in town knew she was married. They know the history because they came during the marriage celebration and they celebrate for seven days. So everyone knows they're married. Everybody knows the details. So she can't just go off and decide, my husband hasn't shown up in 10 years, I'm going to just remarry. The only way that she could remarry 
is if she received information and it required the witness of two or three people to state that your husband is dead. And based on that information, uh, she was now considered a widow. And mind you, this is a very legal process. If she becomes a widow, the woman had a ketubah, which was signed to begin the engagement process, the betrothal process. So the ketubah, which means writing in Hebrew, the writing was the agreement between the man and the woman. It discussed what their marriage would look like. It discussed the husband obligations that I would provide food, I'll provide shelter, even down to sexual uh, relationship was signed or written into the ketubah. The ketubah discussed things in regards to property, to money, to the dowry that was brought. And if you understand the purpose of the dowry, the father gave the dowry to the daughter in case of a divorce. So now she has a means of survival. It was given to the son to be the groomsman. So when they get married, the, actually before the marriage, the, the son would receive the dowry that he was responsible for. It was in essence put into what we consider like an escrow account. And they held on to this dowry and they knew they were obligated to give this back to the woman if they ended up divorced. They also sat down and worked out a financial stipulation. It was a, 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 a fixed amount of what it would cost if they ended up divorced that the man would give to the woman on top of the dowry. Sometime it was the full amount of the dowry. So let's say the dowry was 100 grand. Then the man would agree, I'll give you 100 grand as well. So the woman would walk away with 200,000 or at least knowing this is what I'm going to receive if our marriage ends up in divorce. Sometimes it will be 100%, sometimes it will be 50%, sometimes it was one-third, sometimes one-fifth. But whatever they agreed upon is what was written in the ketubah. Now, understand this, because um, I shared this recently with a friend of mine, and she got excited, like, well, then the woman knows she could just walk away. That's not how it worked, because women could not divorce the man. But the woman was required to receive the divorce contract, the bill of divorce. And this is what the problem is. The men did not need a bill of divorce to remarry. So this is part of the problems. One of the major problems This is what Jesus was addressing. You guys are entering into a second marriage. All you're doing is putting her away. You're sending the woman away. And now you're moving on and getting into a second marriage. But you didn't follow the law of Moses. If you read this correctly, Jesus explained it in the very beginning. So in Matthew chapter five, verse 31, this is what he said to them. It has been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, that's separate. Let him give her a writing of divorcement. Your marriage is not ended until she receives that bill of divorce. She was required to receive that bill of divorce in her hand. The process was you went to the priest, they read the ketubah, they dissolved the marriage, and then they rewrote uh, or they wrote out a bill of divorce, the scribe wrote it out, placed it in the hand of the husband, who then placed it into the hand of the wife. That was the process that God required Moses to establish. Why? Because the men were just moving on into another relationship, going into another marriage. So now the woman is not receiving the dowry. She's not receiving the agreed amounts of things that she said she would receive that had agreed upon at the birth of the marriage. 
Okay, so the ketubah is, is agreed upon and signed, which begins the betrothal period. Now the engagement period, which will last anywhere generally from nine months to a year. And then we have the, the process of divorce. Let's jump to this, where we're now saying Jesus said you can get divorced for adultery. Well, you can't take your ketubah to the priest and says and say my wife was in adultery. And so now we're going to get divorced and divide assets and she's going to receive the dowry. And now I'm going to make uh, these uh, payments based on what I had agreed in regards to us getting divorced. That's not how it happened. If a woman was caught in divorce, she was killed. And the man that she committed adultery with was killed as well. So this is the area that is missed, and it's a critical point in regards to Christian teachings on this topic. The ketubah is critical. It's important that we understand what this document is. What I have done is, if you go to the website, I've added another link, and it's, it's labeled the ketubah, and I've linked it to a Jewish website. Um, they are a great resource if you want to look up information. Um, but I also have uh, other links up there as well, like the laws of Moses. One link uh, has all the laws of Moses, all 613 uh, mitzvahs. And then I also have a link that breaks down the laws of Moses into sections. So if you want to look up laws pertaining to marriage, laws pertaining to divorce, laws pertaining to who they could marry. So that dealt with the relationships because a, a, a son could not marry his his stepmother. He could not marry a sister. You can't marry a cousin. So there were laws that God put in place in regards to kinship in marriage. Uh, laws pertaining to the priest, who they could marry, who they who, who could not marry, who could not be a priest. All these laws are written there and they're broken down into categories. So I suggest you go to the website, thedivorcechristian.com. Look up the ketubah as explains all this information. What I find interesting is when people do talk about the ketubah, they always eliminate the part, port, the point or portion that deals with divorce. So they talk about entering into this covenant, entering into this marriage. But the whole point of the ketubah was for two things, the divorce or the dissolving of the marriage or if the woman became a widow. So if the woman uh, loses her spouse, the husband, that ketubah becomes a precious document that she takes to the priest and it determines what she's to receive. She's now to get her dowry. She's now to get her, her, the ketubah as explained in regards to being a widow, what she's going to receive. If that's a portion of the husband's wealth, if it's a certain amount of acres of land, all of that was written in the ketubah before they enter into their engagement. This is critical when you have children. It's critical when you have um, kin, kinmen or kinship or what we would say family members that decide we have rights and privileges. Well, they don't have rights above the ketubah. The woman gets first rights, but only if it's written in the ketubah. And understand this about this document. When the woman did receive it on her wedding day, after they gave the vows, they, they then uh, she received this, the, the parchment, as the scribe would write it out, she would take the ketubah home and she would hang it on the wall. So it was a constant reminder to the husband of the agreement that he made. 
Constant reminder that if I divorce this woman, it's going to cost me dearly. I know what I got to pay. Um, I know what the cost will be. And as Christians are teaching that those that are divorced, they're going to pay the price. They broke a covenant. Yeah, there's a price to pay. The price has already been paid. It ends with broken hearts. It ends with broken relationships. It ends with uh, families being torn apart and children uh, living in discord and in broken homes and two family homes. This is the price that's been paid for divorce. It's called death. Divorce is costly. And that's why God doesn't like divorce. He prefers people that keep their word. And we'll deal with this at another point, but divorce is a result of somebody not keeping the vow. Somebody didn't honor their word when they made their vows, which most people can't remember. So how do you keep something you can't remember? That's a problem. That's problem number one. But if I have vowed to my wife to love her, then how do I end up hating her? If I vow to, to uh, hold to, to, to have and to hold, to have means to have sex with, to hold her, to embrace her, to carry her through her dark moments. If I can't keep my vow, this is what leads to divorce. I'm telling you, every divorce is a result of something in the vow being broken, and that's what God hates. He hates oath breakers. That's what he hates, and it ends in divorce. And so God hates what we end up going through as a result of a divorce. So an adulterous marriage as it pertained to biblical times in the time of Jesus was a result of a woman entering into a second marriage because she believed that her husband had died as a result of two or three witnesses. She now brings her ketubah to the priest. She receives everything that she's to receive as a widow. And now she is free to remarry. She has been loosed from the bounds the bond of, of marriage. So what ends up happening is if she enters into a second marriage and then the husband comes back, turns out that the man is alive. Now she's in an adulterous marriage, an adulterous relationship. And the marriage, even though it's considered invalid, it is legally binding. And so now we have a major problem because you've entered into a second ketubah which means another dowry has been paid, another agreement has been made. In some cases, the father of the groom even matched the dowry given by the father of the bride. We are talking about a lot, a lot, a lot of money. That's a part of this process. So this is one of the issues. This is why women couldn't have multiple husbands because as she's receiving all this wealth, it could turn into legal issues, or even the concept of scamming. So we'll deal with that at another point. But this is the point as we're, we're running out of time. So as I looked at the life of David, and we know the story, David was given the daughter, Michael, to wife after he killed Goliath. The ketubah, even though it's not mentioned in this passage of scripture, but as uh, King Saul and David are talking about a spousal payment, the spousal payment was the amount, of, the amount of money that the groom would give to the father of the bride for the compensation for his daughter. Don't think of a payment in regards to, and they call it a purchase, but he's not buying the bride. She's not a slave. She didn't come under his command. 
but the son was required to give the father of the bride a an amount in compensation for the daughter, and that's whatever they agreed upon. With this being said, David compensated Saul uh, the, the foreskins. So this was his payment for his bride. He didn't do as normal to bring, you know, lands or to give goats or sheep or whatever, things of that nature. With that being said, so David enters into a marriage with the daughter of the king. We know what he received because whoever killed Goliath, it was already explained, would receive land. Um, I guess he would receive money, but it also talked about the taxes being taken off his father's house. So that was the agreement. Okay. They're married. David ends up running from his life from Saul, and then he returns. This is maybe years later. But we find that Saul gave Michael to another man. And I have thought for years, how could he do this? Because uh, David, he required my wife be returned to me. But wouldn't this be an adulterous marriage? This woman is now married to another man. Based on the law of Moses, if she goes and marries another man, she cannot come back to the former husband because she is now defiled. So this is what I always assumed. Michael had entered into a second marriage. She's now uh, uh, married to this man. David requires that she be returned. She comes back to David. And I'm thinking David violated the law of Moses, but not true. The story is that Michael and her husband, the second husband, never uh, consummated the marriage. The story is that they held or put placed a sword in between the two of them. They never crossed that sword. The agreement was whoever crossed the sword, their life will be taken from them. This man honored David's marriage. And that's why he cried. They talk about how he cried and walked behind Michael as she was returned to her husband. That man was put in a difficult place by the king. He knew this was David's wife. So he never crossed that line. And because of this, David could now get his wife back. There was no violation of the law of Moses. Fascinating story. I've been learning so much. We'll share more on next week. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host, Darius Good. This was a Good Treasure Ministries production. Darius is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center, and he is the author of the book, The Divorced Christian. To learn more about this book and other books written by Darius, or to listen to other episodes of our podcast show, visit our website today at thedivorcedchristian.com. We pray that today's episode has brought revelation, understanding, and healing. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast show. And until next time, be blessed.